if you give your player a goal and they do it correctly once, don't say, great job on X. Now just do Y. Just say, great job on X and let them find it, let them make it repeatable, and allow them to just keep going with that. So that has to fall, again, within your goals for the individual athletes. Don't build right away, especially if it's something new for them. Because then what are they focusing on? Then you didn't focus as a coach, and then the player can't focus, and then you're going to get lost. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Better at Beach Volleyball podcast. Uh, today, we're going to talk about practice plans. We are doing a lot of coaching, obviously, and we are here in St. Pete Beach at one of our camps, sold out, which is nice. Uh, our April camp has five spots left. We just did a head count there. And uh, so, you know, we're running through all of our practice plans. We're doing all of our demonstrations, and we know that a lot of you guys are players. But we have a pretty big segment of coaches on our list, in our followers, and our subscribers. And we wanted to do something for you guys today, something special. So uh, today, we are going to talk about how to build a great volleyball practice and what is important when we're doing that. Now, if you are ever interested in just having a set it and forget it practice plan, we have already built that for you. We have 50 plus practice plans and we just keep adding to it. We put new drills in there. Um, we add more videos to it and you have printable PDFs that you can use for your practice. I know that uh, for a lot of you coaches out there, the hardest part and the most time consuming thing about coaching is trying to come up with new drill ideas or things that work and wondering what's gonna happen there. What we already did is we wrote them all out. We wrote all of our practice plans for all of our skills and we show you actually how to alter them for each level and different numbers as well so if you're ever interested in that it's www.betteratbeach.com forward slash practice plans and you can check that out for yourself without further ado brandon how you what doing up? i'm good i'm good i love being down here it's a little windy this morning but uh we got it going still had a great practice so ready to share how we did that. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. did. Um, we coached a practice and we played in our own practice. Yeah. And I think, uh, let's, we'll just go ahead and get right into it. But, it. um, you know, having a, a good library of drills is huge. So I'm glad that you mentioned, uh, everything that we have because, you know, we, we spent a lot of time realizing that practices were an issue and, um, we realized that one of the main reasons is that a lot of people just don't have access to a lot of different drills. You know, like they show up to practice, they do their quick little shoulder warm up where they throw back and forth with a partner. Then they get into some kind of pepper and then they do triangle and then they play. You know, so that library is pretty big. But I think before we get into that, it's, uh, it's important for the coach to realize that they need to kind of analyze two different things. They need to analyze themselves as a coach in that whenever they're analyzing themselves, they should be thinking about what is the purpose of this practice? Like what is their job? What is their responsibility when they show up on that day? And that will help a lot because like I know specifically this morning, we had a, a passing and ball control practice. One of the things that I stress to all of our coaches is that when there is a passing and a ball control practice, like that is where, let's say, 80, 85% of your feedback should be 
focused. You know, I think a lot of times coaches go into this practice and they put a little too much pressure on themselves and they, they kind of think that it's their job that that practice, they have to fix every single thing that is wrong with their players. You know, mm -hmm. and I think uh, if you can kind of think about yourself as a coach and come up with a plan um, of this week, we're going to focus on this. The following week, we're going to focus on this. Uh, if you see your athletes a lot, obviously you can move a little bit quicker through those skills. Like you, maybe you go passing one day, setting the next day, attacking the next day. But I think really sitting down and planning and how you plan on kind of getting your players going towards that is really important, especially from a skill standpoint. I think that's a big problem that I see is that a lot of, a lot of coaches, they just think if their athletes play a whole lot, that they're going to see improvement. And obviously you will. But if you have a focused training plan for a month, a whole season, then that's, that's where you really see the growth. And it all starts with the coach being able to kind of be like, all right, this is our plan. We're sticking to it. I'm going to fight through it. You know, so I, I think that that's a point that a lot of coaches miss out on. Yeah. What I liked about what you said was that we didn't say you're going to focus for one single practice. If you know what your team's weaknesses because you took the stats, you took the time to watch film, and you said, where are we losing? What stat are we going to improve that eventually leads to wins? You know, stats that we want to pay attention to are passing stats. Um, how often am I getting a good pass? And you usually use that kind of three-point rating, like a three is a perfect pass, a two is a good pass, a one is something that somebody could get their hands on. Um, and then... You know, finally, the zero is an ace. So are you passing well? Then also, are you serving well? Because if you're serving, then you need to measure the other team's passing rating, right? And you want to keep their passing rating underneath yours. So are you winning that serve and pass game? That will tell you if you need to upgrade your passing or upgrade your serving, you know, stop those errors. Another hugely important stat that you have to pay attention to is your hitting percentage. In beach volleyball, there are two different types of hitting percentage. We have our hitting percentage overall. So total hitting percentage, right, is every time I take a swing or attack a ball, does it turn into a kill, right? If I swing once and I get a kill, my hitting percentage is 100%, right? If I swing once and then I get, or sorry, if I swing twice and I get one kill and they dig one, that's a continuation ball, that's not a negative. So I've got two attempts and one kill. Right now I'm hitting 50%. But if I swing three times, I get one kill. I make one error that subtracts it because we take kills minus errors. And then we put it over total attempts, right? So now I've got one kill, one error. So that's zero and I'm zero over three. So now my hitting percentage after three swings is zero, right? That is a terrible hitting percentage. Uh, most people like when you're winning AVPs, and FIVBs, you want to look around five, almost 600. 600 and you're playing like a god. Like, uh, so like 60% and you're playing like a god, right? But side out percentage should be way higher because your side out percentage is every time you receive the ball, what percentage of the time does your team win the point? that needs to be much higher than your hitting percentage, okay? That needs to be closer to 80%. So if you get served uh, 10 times, you need to be siding out at least eight out of, out of those 10 balls. So those are two very important stats and they're very different. Most people confuse hitting percentage and side out percentage. And we have to pay attention to both.
if we bring that back to practice plans, then you have to focus on one thing for a lot of practices in a row. Most coaches, and I did it as a young coach, where I would show up to one practice, I was like, okay, we got to work on passing. And it was with a club team, 14-year-old club team, and we did it for two hours, and that was on a Tuesday, and my next practice is Thursday. And I'm like, well, we already worked on passing. Sorry, but nobody learns how to pass in two hours, right? You, you barely dust a surface. You get to cover one key and find out what's wrong with your passing in two hours. You're not fixing it. You're just figuring out what's wrong in those first two hours. So when we talk about like season goals, this is what we have to talk about before we even start designing a practice plan. You need to take the st statistics or if you don't have stats yet because it's a new team, you need to define yourself as a team and say, what are we going to pride ourselves on? If it's ball control, if it's side out percentage, if it's getting aces, if it's getting blocks or digs, you know, you can play a defensive team as, as well. And that's what's going to say, okay, now we're going to build my practices around that specifically and I can't spend too much time. I might spend 10 to 15 minutes on all the other ball control stuff that we need for every single play. But this is the first thing that you guys want to think about is building a practice around the statistics that you need. And if you haven't taken those stats, you have to take film of yourself if you're your own player. You have to take video uh, of, your, of your team if you're a coach out there. And if you can, most parents, this is what happens at juniors things. Like parents want to be helpful. And that's why they yap at coaches so much. <laughs> and they get involved. Parents. Yeah, because they want to help their kid. Right. But when we talk about how can a parent be helpful, if a coach just teaches them the basics of statistics and gives each one of them a notepad and say, you're going to track our passing percentage. This is what a good pass is, this is what a great pass is, this is what a medium pass is. You're gonna attack, you're going to take both of our players' hitting percentage. That is an incredible way to, uh, to be helpful as a parent. You know, Division One colleges, sometimes their staff is like five deep with volunteer assistants, graduate assistants, um, and two full-time assistants and a head coach. Now, you have a club director, and you might have one coach for that club Right, and often that coach has multiple teams. So you're putting a lot on that coach. They don't not only have to track in-game, but then statistics and then be there for emotional support. So I think coaches can help with this practice planning thing uh, by assigning jobs to the parents and to the people around and the support staff to help take statistics. And then you can start to build your practice from there. So that's, that's like the big macro, right? Like where do we start by building a practice? And I think uh, <clears throat> like one of the big, one of the big issues that a lot of coaches run into if they constantly complain about the parent kid coach relationship is that they don't have any evidence to back up what they're what they're seeing. You know, I, I would say most of the time coaches know what they're seeing and they, they make the right decision because they've been around the game for a long time. Um, but a lot of times if a parent comes up and says, why isn't my son or daughter playing? Then if you don't take stats, all you can say is, well, I think that she or he is better at doing this type of thing. But if you have those statistics ready, especially if it's the parent that is taking stats for that, 
for that kid, then they're going to see that evidence firsthand. And it's something that you, I mean, who knows, maybe the statistics are telling you something different than what you're actually seeing. You know, it's, it's a really good way for you to have evidence to support maybe what you see, or it could, it could help you make a better team just based on what you're actually, what, how your kids are performing or adults. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, um, kind of going a little step further. And now I, I think we can probably talk about energy of coaches. You know, I, I, we're not even at uh, designing a specific practice plan. Um, but I know for me, like if I walk in the gym and I am energetic about coaching, I want these kids to get better. I'm, I'm daring them to make changes um, and I'm really focusing and I have a lot of energy into the court, then the, whether I'm coaching kids or adults, it's reciprocated, you know. If I can bring the energy, they are too, you know? And I think a lot of us, sometimes we have full-time jobs and then in the afternoon we're coming into a gym or, or the beach and you're, you're just one of those coaches that is doing the best you can in your area and we appreciate you so much. But if you're gonna take on that responsibility, it's also your responsibility to show up with energy because a lot of times, kids and adults are in the same exact situation as you. Maybe they had a, a long day at school. Maybe, maybe they, if you're coaching adults, maybe they had a long day at work, um, but they still showed up, you know? Mm -hmm. So if they showed up, you have to show up. And, uh, you know, I, obviously everybody has good days and bad days. Um, but I think if you can push the energy that you hope to see them have, then it's, you're already having a great practice. And that's before we've even designed any drills. So, yes, you put yourself in a leadership position, you know, whether it was forced on you or, you know, if you're a math teacher and they said, we need a volleyball coach and this is your first season coaching, or you just chose to be a coach, you are now a leader, right? It is your job. You, the amount of coaches who say, you guys just don't have energy, you know, yeah, it's your job. That, that is the coach's responsibility to create that energy in the gym. And that's what we focus like our, our coaches here at camp. Um, they all bring different versions of energy, but they bring the energy that they want and that they want to train under. Some coaches like as, as leaders and, and as a team, they want calm, quiet thinkers. You know, some people want people to get fired up um, so, and some people want them to straight up just get pissed off. And you can create whatever culture you want, but you have to create that consistently and you have to share that with the team. And then if you're going to be the leader, you need to be there consistently and driving that energy. It's not up to them to create the culture. You know, you need to work at affecting people and creating that, uh, you know, we call it creating the weather in, in the gym or on the court. You have to do that. And people have to buy in. So this becomes tough for those of us who are playing with like our groups on beaches and everything where like you get to lead a practice with all of your peers, you know, what kind of energy you're going to bring. Cause at our level, we're all professional athletes and we all kind of have a different training mentality. Some are really chill. Some want to get after it. Some want to fire up. And, uh, and even my, the, the way that I, the emotions that I brought over the years has definitely changed and ebbed and flowed and I am a lot more calm 
right now than I ever used to be. And I used to be really hard on people. Like if they weren't going at 200% at every moment, you know, I would sprint in front of them and shag their ball and say, why aren't you doing this? You know? Um, so as a coach, create that energy, work to do it. Don't put it on your team to do it, but you have to start creating and finding ways to enhance that culture in your gym on your court. Yeah. It's okay to ask for help in that situation too. You know, I think something that we do at camps is like, we, we talk about spirit of the camp awards, you know, like we give out two each week and those people are raising the environments on their court. It's not something necessarily, sometimes we ask for help if we need it, especially later in the week when our coaches are a little tired, you know? Um, but it's, it's just so nice to have somebody on your court that boosts the energy. You know, whether it's somebody who's encouraging or somebody who's just super joyful and, and really happy. Um, I know for me, uh, I have a little story with going back to college. Um, so when I when I came into college, I had you, you Hudson. Um, so Mark Hudson Bates uh, and those were kind of the captains that I looked at you know, and you guys were just workhorses, you know, it was like, there's no failure. It's just a matter of how long it takes you to do something, you know? And, and I kind of, I bought into that 100% and, and it made me into the athlete that I am today. Uh, but the way that our team chemistry happened and the way that our growth went, I, I found myself in a leadership role pretty young into my college career. So like by the time you guys left, so I was a, a sophomore or junior, um, I was kind of already seen as a captain, mainly because I was a setter on the court. And a lot of times setters get kind of deemed that that captain position just yeah. because they're the ones that talk to the refs a lot. Um, but as I got older, I had a new class come in, you know, and and we had a very my especially my senior year. We had a very, very talented class come in, um, but they were just completely different mindsets than the heart, the Mark and Hudson that I, I learned under, yeah. you know, and I, I had a really tough meeting with, with, uh, Freddie. I was just like, I've, I just feel like they're not bringing the intensity that I need them to. And, and he really sat me down and realized like, Hey, this is not the same team. So you can't treat it like that. Um, and that was probably one of the biggest learning experiences I had in my, in my life because, and it was actually, it probably saved my career a little bit because, I was so intense. I was so hard, not only on people, but I was really hard on myself, you know, and this new atmosphere that came in because everybody else was buying into this, it allowed me to kind of lighten up and, and kind of fit the mold of what our team needed. Mm. Um, so I think that energy is just, it's huge. It really yeah. is. And Fred, Fred, our coach, you know, we talk about like building a culture. He was one of those that allowed a natural culture to develop. He said, okay, whatever the personalities, wherever the, the, this flows he goes all right it's a new team new culture he didn't drive home a singular culture over his entire career um and yeah it's it's funny that that you learned that in, in college because you were probably learning that at the same time that i was because i was going overseas and being absolutely like hammering people showing them that i was the hardest worker you know sprinting them and being unforgiven as soon as soon as we were peppering nobody was warm sneakers not tied like didn't matter 
you need to lay out for every single ball. And uh, I probably lost like a lot of faith or friend teammates in that role because they're like, this guy's a maniac. Like, you you can't keep doing this. And that wasn't everybody's role. And uh, with Jeremy Casebeer, when I was partnering with him, you know, there's a lot of times where he didn't dive at practice and his face never showed that he was like intense. Me and HUD made like ugly faces whenever we were working hard, you know? (laughs) And I thought that that face, the exhaustion face meant hard work. And it doesn't for everybody. Somebody's, and I had a talk with my mom as well, uh, but one person's 100% looks different than another person's 100%. And you have to know what they give and how they give before you can expect something. And I would expect without having that conversation. So if we take this all the way back to building a practice, the one thing that is mandatory at every single training is something that I didn't do for years as a young coach is check in with your players before practice. Ask them about their lives, their days, their relationships, whatever you need to do, because somebody might be going through something so awful that they just haven't presented to you. And then the one place where you could save them, which is their sport, the the one thing that they enjoy, that could be the moment that you break them. You break their day and you become that final straw and they look at you as the ultimate enemy, even though it was, you know, a, a bunch of other things that had happened to get them to that point. But you were the one who broke it because you pushed at the wrong time. And you have to know that as a coach. Yeah, you have to be tuned into the emotions and lives of your team. And this goes for employers and bosses. You have to understand what's going on in their outside world and know when you can push and when you just got to let them ride for a little bit. Um, and I think that that is, that is one of the things that it makes an excellent coach. And I had to learn that emotional side because I never had it. And even to this day, like at, I, I don't know if I fake it or not, but I, I know to ask it and I know what it means. You know, I, I know that if you're having an absolute crap day, I'm just going to pat you on the back the whole day. You know, if you're having a good day and you're feeling good, I'm going to ride that motivation with you and, and I might ride you a little bit harder. Um, so you have to check in with your athletes and that that is a part of building a perfect practice. Because if you push at the wrong time, the wrong energy, because you don't sense what's going on around you or with your players, it's going to be a tough practice because there's going to be a lot of friction with different emotions trying to, to cross each other the wrong way. Yeah. So the last thing that I, I kind of wanted to focus on with building a practice is uh, understanding that there needs to be a progression. Um, and so and what I mean by that is, you know, you've already established what this week's goal is, right? Let's say it's passing. Mm-hmm. Now it's your job to create however long your practice is. If it's 45 minutes, if it's two hours, it's your job to create three, four, five progression drills that'll lead you up to gameplay. You know, I think a lot of coaches, like I said before, they do the same drills and then they just let their kids play or they let the adults play. And the players won't mind a lot of gameplay because 
they're out there sweating, they're out there competing, and that's what they, their coach told them to do. But if you want to see results, you have to figure out what progression you're looking for. So with passing, it's okay to start with a very simple drill. We have an open court at camp. They started with a very simple drill of just a very simple toss pass catch, you know, moving them from side to side, getting a very high level player to concentrate on their footwork before they see an actual serve coming is, is really important, you know, uh, and then, so maybe that first drill is just a one contact drill. Then your second drill, now we can, we can make it into a, a two contact drill. So now instead of that passer just passing back to the setter, maybe they have to pass the ball to themselves and then pass another ball back to the, to the target at the net, you know, and then maybe the next drill is like a passing triangle where now you have three people, you have a person tossing from the other side of the net. We're progressing this drill to make it seem more game-like um, and not just skipping over them and hopping right into games. So I think, I think progressing uh, throughout those drills is, is just really big. Mm -hmm. You know, I, part of me wants to read from our, from our camp manual that I just pulled yeah. up here. Uh, because we work really, really hard on our camp manual and we constantly edit it because we constantly see like little holes or, or things that can be better. So I love that progression. You start with something small, you build it into bigger movements, then you build it kind of once over the net from that scenario, whatever scenario you're working on, and your feedback is solely on that. If it is your passing day, shut up about attacking like stop talking about attacking serving when it's about receiving dj today at, at our camp he said you know i'm gonna throw a bunch of spaghetti at the wall and hope that something sticks that works great for a camp environment but if you're coaching a team for a long season you need to pick what you're serving at every single breakfast lunch and dinner uh to be able to have that set plan so to be able to build that single skill into a bigger movement into a once over the net so that they can focus it on a side out or a transition and then insert it into a gameplay. I think way too many coaches and players create all of these multi-level tiered big points, little points drills that just end up confusing people. If you have to explain a drill and you get those big deer eyes where everybody... As soon as you're done talking, you say, all right, ready? And you clap and everybody slowly walks <laughs> onto the court and looks at each other, but they have no direction. That drill is too complicated. Or you just can't use the words. Like one of the things that we tell our coaches from the, from the manual is demonstrate first. You demonstrate the drill while explaining. If your drill takes more than three minutes to explain, it's too long. It's too complicated. We just need to be able to pass and we need to focus on one single key. So uh, I'm going to read here and you guys can tell me, uh, shoot us emails, shoot us direct messages, or just write on this comment section if you would want this to be a free printout because we can make this into a downloadable printout. We can create it for you, a nice PDF. But this is coming straight from our Better at Beach coaching manual. Okay, And it's how to be a great coach. If you got pens right now, if you got a paper, if you just want to, you know, uh, you're listening to this on a podcast and you want to set up your notes, you can do that right now. But number one, introduce new players to veterans and ask them to pair up for the warm up drills. 
this is good for cohesion in terms of, you know, when you have, first of all, uh, schools, like multi-level schools where you have freshmen coming in with seniors, you need to create that bond. And most likely the friends are going with friends and that creates clicks on your teams and you can't have that. When you're running classes like we do, when you're running kind of adult classes or camps, what that does for you is that introduces the new people to the drill quicker and they learn what's expected because then you don't have to coach the veterans do. Number two, introduce the focus of the training if your players don't know what they're focusing on and you haven't explained that clearly you have no goals and you can't reach them number three is get them through a dynamic range of motion warm-up um, which we had 97 signups for our uh, athletic foundations program our seven-day athletic foundations program 97 signups which is incredible i'm going to take all those players through a seven-day eating, drinking, exercise, and mobility workouts and be coaching them for a week. So I'm super excited about that. But that's aside from the point. Number four, make any announcements and keep up chit-chat during warm-ups. Keep building the energy that you want to create. Number five, reintroduce the focus of the training. Get people on the same page so that they all know what they're working on. This goes with, again, uh, employers, employees, leaders, and followers, teams, right? Number six, go through two to three scenarios where the skill could be used in a game or where it would be applicable. That way, they, if somebody hasn't really understood like why they're working on this, then you get to know. And if that scenario doesn't appear enough in volleyball if it's one of your 10 percent or five percent of the times this happens it's probably not a great thing to be working on you know, that that 80 20 rule still applies here i'm gonna keep going if you don't mind i don't mind i All think right. these are great and i think everybody needs to hear it so okay number seven tell players why this is important to master and at what stage of their development they need this to win at our camps we go through a lot in seven days and some of the things that we cover, we want them to know for the first time, but we don't necessarily, we realize that like a beginner is not really going to focus on rolling a transition set, kicking outside, and then only having three choices on a swing, right? That might be a bit above their head, but if we plant that seed early enough, then eventually the next time they hear that it makes a little more sense third time they hear that next year it makes a lot more sense and then finally they they kind of it blossoms that little seed uh number eight give them the keys that they need to know and keys summarize information so again if your players can't clearly explain back to you how to perform a certain skill with very simple words you have over explained or you haven't made your point clear number nine give the common errors so that they can watch out for them number 10 this is what we talked about demonstrate while explaining do not explain and then demonstrate you will waste time demonstrate while explaining and show no more than two exercises before starting the drill All right um if you are a coach who's running classes anywhere by the way you should be on our other podcast entrepreneur athlete but if you are running classes anywhere take people by name don't just say some people over there let's get some players over there you say hey jane 
you go back left. Roger, you go middle. And Lucy, you go front right by the antenna. And you pull them by the collar and you put them in their places. But if you say some people go there, it's just like when we talk about emergencies, somebody call 911. No. First aid protocol says you, Brandon, with the yellow ball on your chest, go call 911. Right? Very, yeah. <laughs> Very specific. That will save you guys a lot of time when you're practicing and designing those. Number 11 is stick to your practice plan. You designed it for a reason. It's just like strategy. This is your coaching strategy. Stick to that practice plan. And after, let me know if it worked. You have to take stats of your practice. How was the energy? How did each drill work? Should you scratch it for the rest of your life? Was it too advanced? Was it too elementary? Right? But make sure that you um, are following that practice plan, even if it gets a little bit wonky. We're going to keep going, guys. Number 12. Every session, call out every person by name a minimum of two times for something that they did well. At Better Beach, we like positive coaching. Um, so it's just important to, to make sure that you're feeding positivity to them. They'll enjoy their sport a lot more. By the time, number 13, by the time you are 30 minutes into a practice, you as a coach mentally should have no more than two established corrections or goals for each athlete. If we're working on passing, Brandon, I'm going to tell you, hey, make sure your hands stick together before, uh, before and after your pass. I'm going to stick to that. And then I might, I might pick one more. Like, hey, let's make sure we've taken three steps to a ball outside your body. Okay. If I just see your chest puffing out at one moment, I'm not going to correct that because it'll just, it'll get away from you and then you'll get confused because then you won't know what you're focusing on. One focus. Uh, if you guys haven't read the book, The One Thing, fantastic book um, about, again, uh, business leadership and probably coaching. So pick one goal for each athlete. That means that when you see other things go wrong, again, you got to keep yourself quiet and you got to know that this is where this person is going and this is where this person is going. Number 14, do not make comments or fixes outside of those two corrections. It'll frustrate the player. It's kind of the same goal, uh, the same rule. And 15, we have uh, end practice early enough to have the players rake the courts so that they take care of their own environment. And number 16, bring everyone together so that they're paying attention. When players are out scattered and like picking up balls and doing all their own things, they're not going to pay attention. Uh, or you're going to have to yell, or they're going to think that your words just aren't important because their backs turned to you. So it's not really that meaningful, right? Get them together before you start having that final introduction. And we do have five more, but I'm going to save some. If you guys want a PDF of our camp manual or pieces of it, we're not going to give away the whole farm, but uh, if you want a piece of it, how to be a great coach, we can certainly print this out and uh, send it your way so that you can put it up as a reminder for you and your coaches. That's good. And I think uh, one last piece of advice before I have to head back out is uh, don't get blinded by results. You know, I think a lot of times people look at, let's say you're passing, Mark, and your feet are perfect, your platform was perfect, the only thing you messed up on was the angle of your pass and it happened to make you shank it and, and get an ace, you know? Sometimes coaches will just be like, oh, you'll get it next time, you know, 
But instead, like, I think that that's a really good opportunity to get that. Cause a lot of times when, when that person shanks the ball or they get aced, they go negative right away. I lost the point, you know, but that's my, that's my chance as a coach to be like, Hey, no, 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 no. Uh, uh-uh. you did two things. Perfect. The only thing that you messed up was getting your angle out. If you get to that angle of your platform, then, then everything's good. And you're, you're running a perfect play. Mm-hmm. I was like, so I think if, if coaches can get out of this idea of it has to look perfect in all aspects to be right. Um, and if you can break down those skills a little bit more, uh, that, that'll obviously help a little bit. Yeah. I'll piggyback on that with one pet peeve that I have is if you give your player a goal and they do it correctly once, don't say, great job on X. Now just do Y. Just say, great job on X and let them find it, let them make it repeatable and allow them to just keep going with that. So that has to fall again within your goals for the individual athletes. Don't build right away, especially if it's something new for them. Because then what are they focusing on? Then you didn't focus as a coach and then the player can't focus and then you're gonna get lost. So we didn't go too deep into actual structured practice plannings today, but what we have for you guys if you ever want it of course we have 36 essential drills for beach volleyball that is our free giveaway it's at betteratbeach.com you can always find that and we also have 50 plus practice plans they're already written for you they're divided by skill category they're set minute to minute so you know what you're doing for each minute and they also have drill videos so that if the wording is confusing for you We've already got it on video. You just watch it on your phone. Boom. Now you know what you're doing uh, for practice. So if you guys want that, that's at betteratbeach.com forward slash practice plans. And you can go ahead and get it there. Betteratbeach.com forward slash practice plans. 50 plus beach volleyball practice plans that you guys can bring to your teams. Or if you're a player and you've got a playing group and you just want to know how to structure a great practice, go ahead and grab it. All right, B. All righty, Mark. I got to head out of here. Nice episode. I got got some campers to coach. Nice. I got some uh, foundations athletes to coach. I'm going to get people in shape for the new year. All right. I'm going to let you answer these questions, and I will see everybody next time. All right. Bye, Brandon. See ya. Okay. So uh, for everybody who is sticking around for our Q&A, we do have to make it quick because I have to jump out of here and work really closely with our foundations athletes. Like I told you guys, we have 97 people sign up for our mobility program. It's a foundations program, which means we're setting the foundation for everybody's strength, speed, and seasons. And I'm working very closely with these athletes in a private Facebook group. Now, the ages so far have ranged from 64 to 19. 19 to 64. We have a lot of different people who have a lot of different body issues and are working for that uh, and working to hit their goals. And I'm going to get them through that. Unfortunately for you guys listening to this right now, it has closed. We will let you know the next time we open a new cohort, but that is closed for this. And we are done with 93 athletes. That is already a slew of work for us. So looking forward to working with those guys. Now to answer your questions. Joseph, who I believe signed up already. So we're going to have a lot of discussion, Joe. Um, More information regarding how to track and keep track of stats during a beach volleyball match. 
I'm going to tell you a lot about that this week, Joe. So um, we're going to be talking about that, and we can actually talk one-on-one about that, okay? I think frequently with adults, no matter how bad a day at work was getting, to put your feet in the sand and practice is the very best part of your day. It's important for the coach to bring at least that same energy. So I agree with that, Joe. Sometimes beach volleyball or your sport is the best part of your day. Sometimes it's an escape that might not make it the best part of your day. And sometimes it does become a responsibility, something that you have to do that you have to show up to. But sports can save lives. They, uh, they can keep you engaged. They can keep you around people when things are going really difficult. And teams and coaches can recognize that. And you can save lives through sports by being there for your players, by being there for your teammates. And even if it's not the best day, we all have different goals with this sport. And to be a great teammate, to be a coach, you need to know why somebody plays a sport. So if I'm talking to the coaches out there, why do your athletes play the sport? They might not all be there to be a national champion. They might just be there getting through school. They might just be there because they want friends, their best friends on the team, right? They might be there because their parents want them there. And if that case, then, you know, you're going to have to help them find some motivation or reasons for, for continuing. But just remember that it's, it's not always the best part of people's day. It is lucky. It's fortunate. And we could treat it as that. But uh, it's, it's a different reason to come to Sports Herb. Uh, Resolutions, Inc. It's Brisket Jeremy from Cincinnati. Hey, what's up, buddy? How you doing, Jeremy? Um, how do I work for you? Uh, Jean-Luc, we actually do consistently hire. We're always looking for people skilled uh, in graphic design, in a little bit of copywriting, blog writing, uh, and coaching. Uh, we have uh, great coaches, but we we treat our hiring process for coaching very seriously. And we have a program that all of our coaches have to go through to get certified by us to make sure that they can actually coach our programs, especially before we set them free uh, to coach on their own. You have to use our system and that's it. So if you're interested in becoming a better be certified coach, just let me know, shoot me a DM and we can definitely talk about that. Going through some more. Definitely would love the key points you just shared in a PDF, Mark Zen. Okay, couldn't get the pen and paper. Uh, it'll come out on the audio version of the podcast as well. But uh, a PDF of those bullet points, I think I think it'd be worth it to get it for you guys. Okay, we got a lot of people actually. Micah wants uh, a PDF of it. And Harjeev, I would love to have you on this podcast. If you're still there, Harjeev, and you want to talk about biomechanics on our podcast, uh, trust me, I've seen how smart you are. I would love to to get you talking about some biomechanics and, and motor learning out here. All right. Not too many questions other than Mark Zinn. Thanks for coming again, brother. Uh, do you have any recommendations for coaching elementary school aged children in terms of net and ball? I had the local school get an adjustable portable badminton net. Now what ball should they use? I don't have any real recommendations. Um, perhaps uh, someone out there who's got a, a Baden or a Wilson or a Tachikara partnership wants to hook up with us and we can work out a little deal. But we like the Wilson for beach volleyball. But honestly, the Molten has also treated us really well. It's very, very similar to the Wilson uh, and at a much cheaper price. But we're also not supporting the company that really supports the AVP. 
and grows us and we'd like our sport to become bigger and better. So maybe that partnership is more worth it in the long run. Who knows? Hi, Eric. Um, all right, Jean-Luc, you're going to email me. Great. So not too many questions today, but guys, thank you so much for coming. I'm going to scroll through Instagram live just in case I missed anybody. Do you utilize Facebook review every single practice? I mean, pros and coaches should not go through a single practice without videoing it so that you have something to fall back on so that you can review what you did. And it's so easy nowadays. Just put your phone next to your court. It's so easy. Okay. Video every practice, video every match. Otherwise, you've just wasted an opportunity to learn. Even if you're not going to use it, at some point, you'll want to see what you did and what mistakes uh, and good things that you did. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Volleyball Lands, too. All right, guys, that's it. Um, I don't see any more questions. Thanks for tuning in on IG Live. Uh, Keith, the event at Endless Summer in Oceanside was awesome, and we are going to do it again. We're coming back to New York probably in about a month, a month and a half. So just pay attention to betteratbeach.com forward slash clinics. And we always put our dates and clinics and cities up there. If you guys ever want to come to a camp in St. Pete Beach, where I am right now, I know it doesn't look too pretty, but uh, it is outside on the beach. We just have to run the podcast in here. We have five spots left for the April 3rd camp. So only five spots left. We keep it at 40 and then we hire our coaches from there. So uh, we keep small camps so that we can really focus the attention on our athletes. So if you want to come to a camp in St. Pete Beach, April 3rd to April 10th, better at beach.com forward slash camps. If you're interested in getting us to your hometown, go ahead and go to betterbeach.com forward slash clinics and fill out the form there so that we can get in touch with you. And maybe we could coach your club, your group of friends, or just your big volleyball crew, which is exactly what they did in San Francisco, where we're going January 29th. So if you're in San Fran, we will see you there. Guys, that's all the time I have. Thank you for tuning in. Got to go work with some other athletes and uh, all the people that signed up for our foundations program. Appreciate your time. I'm glad you showed up. I hope we're able to give something to you. Have a great day.